tous mes auditeurs français, cet épisode est en anglais parce que malheureusement Thomas ne parle pas encore français. Ceci dit, je vous conseille de faire l'effort parce que c'est vraiment un épisode exceptionnel. Hello everyone and welcome on Fitness Logic Radio. I am your host Nevin Barnett and on today's podcast, I have the pleasure to welcome Thomas Campidel. Thomas is a psychologist, an online entrepreneur and a personal trainer. He also hosts the German version of the Menno Henselmann's PT course. I consider Thomas as one of my friends and I truly appreciate spending some time with him. He is extremely knowledgeable, open-minded, humble and curious, the perfect mix for deep, meaningful conversation. On today's episode, we speak about the impact of social media on mental health and well-being, bringing up children in this context, but also about the psychological issues related to dieting. An awesome episode. I know you will get some valuable information out of this podcast. Don't hesitate to leave five stars on your app to help me invite other amazing guests. Have a good listen and enjoy. Thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast, Thomas. Uh, for people who don't know you yet, could you maybe briefly like introduce yourself, tell us like what you do, what you're passionate about, what you are about? Mm -hmm. So my name is Thomas Campidel. I'm originally from Italy, but now currently live in Austria. Um, I'm passionate about psychology and fitness. Those are my two main passions. So I've been in fitness for around six years now, where I've been done, where I've been doing work in. And my background is in psychology, so I have a master's in psychology, and I'm pursuing a PhD in psychology. So I'm doing research and uh, also doing teaching in psychology as well. Plus, I'm the tutor of um, the German Hanselmann's PT course, which is a certification program for personal trainers. Yes, mm. and it's based in German, right? It's based in German, yeah. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, how did you get actually into fitness initially? Were you doing sports when you were younger or...? Um, kind of indirectly. I was uh, actually having a pretty tough youth, sort of completely non-fitness related. So mm -hmm. I was um, drinking a lot, smoking a lot, yeah, eating was, junk food a lot. It was funny because I've known yeah. Thomas for a few years, maybe four, mm -hmm. four years, four, five years. And when you told me that it was like at the complete opposite of like yeah. uh, how I saw you or how I knew you in the context I know you. So Yeah, I was like you, yeah. smoking one and a half packages a day. Yeah, that's crazy. I was <laughs> completely just going, you know, by the moment. And at around 20 or 21, I quit smoking. And around that time, I also started with uh, sports or with doing regular workouts. So I started with all the P90X and home workouts and kind of got, liked it because I lost a lot of weight. I felt like, okay, the discipline really helps me um, and complemented, basically filled that lack, which I filled with drugs before, maybe with smoking and drinking. And so I kind of naturally went from these home workouts towards more, oh, uh, this is nice. I want to optimize this. I want to analyze this. I always wanted to understand how things work. Uh, that's sort of my research mind that wants to analyze how everything works. And I applied that to fitness as well. And then I came into the more evidence-based field and I went from there, essentially. Yeah, I think you really correspond to like uh, the motto, like uh, keep, um, keep curious. Keep curious, yeah. You're always asking questions about everything you like to Mm -hmm. know things you know you like to learn things on a daily basis and we really see that in in the mm -hmm. way you you function and i mm -hmm. think it's something v very valuable to keep mm -hmm. interested in anything so you can like uh, learn about everything all the time mm -hmm. and that makes how you are able to do what you do today how did you discover menno actually how did you get in contact with menno initially so from all the content i read and consumed 
Mano was one of the only ones who uh, had any logical or had the best logical argumentation when he was speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, many others were just throwing out hypotheses or coming to conclusions based on tradition, based on what everybody else was saying. Some things didn't make sense or were even contradicted or, um, or did contradict themselves. And so Mano was one of the only ones where I went like, oh, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense, let's follow that guy. And then consumed some of his content, read his articles, uh, applied for coaching because I wanted to know what is this about. And that opened a whole new world of how you can apply different methods, mm -hmm. research-based methods. Um, went to a seminar that he gave, uh, talked to him, came into contact more with him, and then applied for a research position and ultimately co-authored the course and became the tutor of the course. Nice. And it was like... So it was not only the German name, right? No. <laughs> um, so I, I think psychology has a, a great advantage uh, in terms of fitness, but mm -hmm. I would say even more, especially for nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, how do you use today your psychological <laughs> background I inside that mm -hmm. area? Of, mm -hmm. of expertise? So what I found over the years is that many of the nutritional problems that we face are ultimately a behavior change problem or like a behavioral change procedure. And most behavioral change procedures start with um, essentially more self-awareness about your thinking patterns, your behaving patterns. Um, even more so than with training, with nutrition, it's, uh, many people use nutrition as a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. right? So what research finds is that um, most people who overeat, for example, also have problems with dealing with emotions. Mm -hmm. There are some other characteristics that those people face or have, um, but dealing with emotions and dealing with um, um, yeah, dif difficult states is one of the big parts that I've also encountered in my coaching, right? So if you speak to people and you, you hear in their communication how they speak about situations, how they frame, how they approach their eating. Uh, so I had to have this, I didn't feel like it, so I ate this, right? So you, you get sort of the gist of um, that there might be some emotional coping mechanism behind it. Um, and so what I, I try to do is I try to teach people sort of different perspectives on eating uh, or how they can view their eating behavior or their lifestyle change in general. And so indirectly they learn sort of meta skills that help them in other areas because they become more flexible. They cognitively, they can, you know, switch um, more easily from one mode to the other which is really important for mental health, this cognitive flexibility. Mm -hmm. And so it's nutrition and psychology are very much linked, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think this was my biggest uh, change of point of view in, because I've been coaching nearly, not far from 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And initially I was very theory-based on, you know, tracking calories, micronutrients, and I was like, yeah, like... I'm, I'm just going to implement that with someone and, and the yeah. result will just follow, you know, calories in, calories out yeah. without taking into account the kind of holistic approach of, uh, yeah. okay, if this person is largely overweight, mm -hmm. it's not only the bad eating habits, there's maybe much more behind, 
mm-hmm. as you were saying, like as a coping mechanism mm-hmm. to deal with like a negative emotion, uh, sure. self uh, value, lo- like a lot mm-hmm. of things that can be <clears throat> uh, going through their nutrition. Mm-hmm. And that is, is, is very problematic because as a coach, it's not always easy to uh, detect those, those mm-hmm. issues and uh, being frustrating of, uh, of not being able to, to help someone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big trend in France, uh, speaking about like uh, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, often you hear that like uh, counting calories is responsible for eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, could you maybe like speak a bit mm-hmm. about that and, and explain like uh, what's your point of view on that and maybe how we can help people who are, who are struggling a bit? So, yeah, that's an interesting point that you mentioned, like counting calories, if I go into that, saying that counting calories is responsible or is largely responsible for eating disorders is very similar to saying going to the casino is uh, the fault for gambling addiction, right? Most people who are addicted to gambling or who have a trait that prone, makes them prone towards that addiction obviously will show the gambling and will go to the casino. And we know that most people who have, who are very like anorexic or have a sort of like a big problem with eating, they will very much restrict, they will um, be very thorough with what they eat and limit portion sizes on a regular basis. They never eat uh, to fullness. But um, um, yeah, so so counting calories per se is not the problem. It's mostly how you approach the counting calories. So I think what we underestimate sometimes because we are long into fitness is that if someone starts, they have a very narrow view of what works or what fitness is. So they try a very small approach. So for example, they know that calorie counting works and cardio works. Or sometimes a very restrictive. Very restrictive, whatever it is. Some are better, some are less um, um, well off. But you try that, you get results. And then your brain says, oh, okay, in order to get this result, it makes a connection, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And so you miss all the other principles, all the other ways you could have gone there. And so if you're not um, open-minded about learning or thinking about different things you could have done to get to the same point, um, you might have had the, 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 un- or the unfortunate situation that you did something that was super unsustainable. I had some of those periods as well where I would say like I did count too many, um, or I I was too rigid with my caloric intake, did too many workouts, too much cardio, which was unnecessary. I think Um, it's part of everyone's journey, in a sense. In a sense, in a sense. I think you went through that, I went through that, I was too... OCD about like my macronutrient breakdown, uh, being like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. I went over a certain macronutrients, like it's not optimal and Mm -hmm. everything. And and I think it's important to to mm-hmm. note to people who are going through this journey that like adherence and mm-hmm. being consistent on the long term and being That's able awesome. to sustain mm-hmm. a diet and approach, <coughs> a calorie deficit, a calorie surplus is the bigger picture and is what gets you result. It's, Absolutely. it's not skipping a workout is not going to be problematic. Uh, uh, having issues with the calorie intake on one day is not going to be problematic. Mm-hmm. It's just accepting that like life is not perfect. Just some okay. things happened. Mm-hmm. It's just your mindset regarding those steps. Yeah. It's like, okay, I did something that was not towards my end goal. Yeah. So 
it's okay. I'm just going back to my good mm -hmm. habits mm -hmm. and implementing and understanding that like if I work out regularly for the next years, I'm going to get to the physical and status I want <coughs> and the sure. same for, for, for my nutrition. For sure, yeah. And I, what you were saying like uh, about the client communication, depending on the client, and this is something you will have to figure out about who you're working with, what your target audience is, what the specific characteristics of the single client are, you might have to throw in sort of, a, not disclaimers, but give more context to what you're saying. Mm. So if you recommend certain macros to someone who you know is very obsessive, who you know will take this to the gram and it will cause problems if they do this for three weeks, there you might have to throw in, you give them a range or you say if one day you go over even by a couple of hundred calories, that's no worries, that's ultimately it will not be weighing, a weighing factor. Um, and that's something you have to play with. The other point you were saying was also really good, like uh, you can't expect life to be perfect. Yes. And many things we do in nutrition are ultimately a reflection of how, uh, of how our brain makes sense of the world. So if we have a very, um, should I say, a very primitive way of interpreting um, happenings and situations, we might think like the world needs to be fair, um, everything needs to be perfect so that I I'm not that. anxious, right? <laughs> yeah, I do too, too. I would like the world to be fair place. Fair place sure. and, and smooth and perfect, yeah. right? That, that's like, a, like a, yeah, a wish that we all have in order to just save us stress and anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's, but ultimately, no, life is not fair. The, the sooner you accept that, uh, that not everybody can get the same results, that some people might have to work harder, some people are smarter, some people have a, you know, have better background, genetically, whatever. That's the first one. And the second one is like, um, if you try to do things perfectly, that's ultimately not sustainable because also not in line with reality, not in line with life, how life works. And so what happens if you get sick, if uh, something stressful happens, um, yeah, you cannot sustain the perfect approach, right? So you have to, the sooner you can get rid of those two ideas that life has to be fair and perfect, the it, easier we'll have it long term. It, it's super interesting that you uh, went on that subject because it's mm. actually a subject that we wanted to, to speak about. Mm -hmm. And the problem is we evolve more and more in a, in a world through social media because social mm -hmm. media is now a big part of our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about it and the fact that for example, you need to use social media to uh, mm -hmm. uh, make the, the, the Hanselman PT course in German mm -hmm. grow. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not something that you really can decide today. It's something that is a bit imposed on you. Okay. And we know that on social media, perfection is displayed right and left. Yeah. It's like everyone has that perfect life. Everything is good for them. Yeah. Uh, they get their goals. They, they are successful and everything. And... Uh, the problem is like when we put ourselves out on these social media as a human being because we are imperfect this mm -hmm. is the reality mm -hmm. it's hard for some people to accept that like mm -hmm. social media is not reality mm -hmm. and that they don't have like external validation because they don't feel perfect like what they see mm -hmm. so how can we how can we behave how can we like work on ourselves and 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 kind of understand that because a lot of people know for example that like uh, mm -hmm. uh, pictures are photoshopped that like most influencers like 
mm-hmm. and I know a lot. Most influencers like actually Photoshop their, their pictures. You can see some people coming out with like actually outing some of these people showing like oh look like her waist is not as thin as that yeah, or sure. uh, his shoulder is not as big as that like etc etc but even though that we know that it's not reality it mm-hmm. still gets through our eyes in our brain and it yeah. resonates with being like i still want to be mm-hmm. that even if it's mm-hmm. not real mm-hmm. how can we like work with that Yeah, so you touched on a few different points. So I think similar to counting calories, social media per se is not the problem. Um, It's just something that we developed or some sort of in-between step before another technology that will arrive. And so what I think needs to be taught more in society, especially for younger people, is that they need to have the skills to navigate their own social media journey. Because depending on the person, we know that some people are more um, prone towards what you said, that they get very anxious, very stressed, very very low self-esteem due to the idea, insecurity, Mm. right? So so while if you do research, for example, and you see social media has, for example, I read a recent study where social media has a net um, effect um, on average, right? So it's not, not positive, not negative. But that doesn't tell the whole story because some people benefit from it because they can uh, stay in social contact uh, if we think of COVID. But also some people really suffer from it. And since we are social creatures, I think the, the skills you have to learn if, you, um, if you're unsatisfied, insecure, feel like you have a problem with social media, is you have to understand that you're a social creature and your brain always is scanning for your social environment. So if you are, spend a lot of time on social media, you have to be very aware that those people are very much like your tribe. And if they are constantly telling you they're, they're better than you, you should be doing this, you should have this, you should make this amount of money, you should have this education, it can be really tough on you because you only have that perspective. Right? And as we talked before, it's similar to like, the world needs to be like this, that always is a recipe for failure. So I think what you need to do or what you could do is, the, is basically learning different perspectives. So the more you talk to people in real life, like I'm talking to you, it's always different than interacting on social media, right? Yeah. So you see the background, like talk to different people, talk to people who have a, a large social media following Mo- most of the time or often they're not as happy as they seem on social media. Oftentimes they're even sadder than people who don't have social media, right? So that's... That, true from my experience like unfortunately i've uh, uh, i've seen that like a lot of people with big followings are not living the life that you would imagine uh very anxious people uh struggling with insecurities just as much as anyone else when most of their following are seeing them as the perfect example of success in terms of physique in terms of uh, uh, business etc and it's always interesting because like I think, unfortunately, as you grow on social media, you do um, kind of associate your value as a person as how much following you have, how much Mm -hmm. following you're able to get Mm -hmm. and having that like external validation again, which Mm -hmm. is a bit problematic because you fall into that fear of other people's opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. if am I really myself or am I like Mm -hmm. constructing that? 
yeah. perfect person, which is not really, it, it kind of an image that I want to see of myself, but it's maybe not the reality of who yeah. I am. I would also even say, and this is a thought that I have, that on social media, while good content usually does well, also a lot of shitty content does well just because we're sensation seeking. So don't, please don't confuse like a viral video um, being a good video because you, you could have like the most idiotic thing and that has no value. That's what the brain value. associated. Exactly. That's what the brain, the brain likes it short term. So it thinks it's good. It likes it, but it's actually not contributing to society in a larger sense. I mean, right? you, you see it with like fail videos. Fail video, cat videos. Yeah, they, exactly. they work better than like successful video for the same uh, physical, sure. you know, sure. or maybe like on a motorbike or whatever. Even I mm -hmm. watch these and I'm like, oh, wow, that's incredible, you know? Yeah. And you can see it with the development of stuff like Jackass, you know, like uh, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like they were just failing because they knew that like people would be obsessed about like watching those shows. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll go a step further and uh, because you are a father, mm -hmm. so you're going to have to make some choices regarding mm -hmm. your child mm -hmm. towards social media. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to prepare your child in that aspect? Like how... How are you going to manage the fact that, like, you know that she's going to be on social media at one point? You, mm -hmm. It's even though if you don't want her to do to do it until like eighteen, at one point it's going to arrive. Yeah. But how are you going to prepare her so social media is, doesn't impact her as negatively as like, could like some people? I think it's uh, it's difficult to teach her these principles directly because I I think it comes more down towards. Um, just the way you communicate to your child, to another person, to give them the, the deep sense, the unconscious sense that they are worthy as they are, you accept them the way they are. If they have that as sort of this, in psychology you often hear this um, word in German, it's called Urvertrauen, which is like the, the basic trust, the, the ancient trust that a child has. The more of that the child has, the better or the more shielded it is towards external things happening plus what i also think is important is that the child or even the adult uh, in some cases just fosters real life relationships if you see that your child is just on the phone maybe nudge them towards you know forming relationships by doing something that they like just basically sort of indirectly showing them values um, displaying them what real connection looks like so that they don't fall too much into the trap of of the shiny object of social media where there where there's everything is good and cool which is obviously not the case and um, you were saying about craving external validation on yes. social media i think that's a skill that many people need to develop i think it's um it can be valuable to get feedback on social media but i think you have to counter it or um or balance it at least with real life feedback because in real life people will be um uh, just much more, what's, what's the correct term? They will be just, um, honest is probably not the term, but uh, there, it will be just a much more realistic and natural interaction that you will have with mm. people. And you will see if people don't like what you say or you're too aggressive, they will sort of non-verbally move away from you. And if people are friendly towards you or you're very charismatic towards them, they will come to you. And this dynamic of like nonverbal behavior that animals have too, 
you don't have that on social media because no. you're often talking against a wall, right? Against the camera. And that's so, why you, lo you lose a lot of... You like, lose a lot of dimension. I think yeah. a lot of people portray it as a maybe energy, you know, like, oh, yeah. I have a good chemistry with this person. She, exactly. This person has a good energy and everything. And, and it does come a lot through yeah. movement, through yeah, a lot of true. things that like we maybe can't point at, mm -hmm. but like that we feel as as animals, yeah. I would say. Absolutely. And that's super important. And um, what about this shift? Because like mm -hmm. we were speaking about study where like uh, uh, children were asked like what they wanted to do uh, in the future. And there was like a, in, it was like a, a epidemiology study mm -hmm. over like 17 years. And there was a clear shift between children saying that <clears throat> I want to be, uh, uh, you know, like I want to be able to travel. I want to have like uh, stay with my friends for the rest of my life to now, a lot of children would say that they want to be uh, famous. They want to be know? famous, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it, it shows kind of a bit the problematic as a society where we're slowly shifting to, yeah. where being famous is seen as something that is like a true success or true, mm -hmm. you know, like a, the end goal. Mm -hmm. When, again, as we just said, being famous is not always the recipe to being mm -hmm. happy in your life. Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. The people or the children say they want to be famous. I think that's why education is so important. Because in education you learn that you learn different perspectives. You learn that not all famous people are happy. You learn that not fame... Um, maybe you have a very naive understanding and associate fame with something you like doing. Like, for example, you as a child, you might think that you need to be famous in order to ha go to a nice restaurant or in order to travel or in order to have like a, a nice relationship, which is complete nonsense, right? The, mo the most happy people sometimes are not famous at all or oftentimes are not famous at all. Yeah. And um, live secretly, live happy. Live know? secretly, monk-like, <laughs> very <laughs> in a case. And do you somewhere. think it also comes yeah. down also to the fact that maybe they see their parents um, idealizing these famous people and then they tell themselves like oh my parents are obsessed about these people or they always put these people in front you know like oh this person goes to there or this person mm -hmm. does that and then they tell themselves oh yeah so I, I need way. to be that could be something if the parents have like uh, the child usually um, so the child usually adopts not what the parents tell them. So if the parents tell the child, um, you don't need to be famous, you do this, you do this, and you'll be happy, that's not as powerful as what you as a role model do yourself. So if you as a role model tell that to the child, but you yourself are like, oh my God, Kim Kardashian is so amazing, and like this fitness model, I want to be like that, um, that the child will notice that. Will notice it emotionally in you, non-verbally, it will adopt it and it will internalize it. So um, if as an adult um, you find or you, you find that you've been idealizing many figures on social media, the best thing you can do is educate yourself about psychology, get more self-awareness, do a lot of work on yourself because then you will notice those belief patterns. You will go like at some point, you will go like, oh, that's where this comes from or that, oh, I think this and this is probably not true, right? So the more you can 
actually go to, through the scientific process of questioning your beliefs, which is super important. The things you believe that are true or I have to do this in order to get that. Always just uh, be on the lookout if you say something like, oh, but you need this to have that or I can't do this because of that or I need this because of that. That's oftentimes a belief that is not true or Lim limiting belief or either limiting or just simply disconnected from reality and false, statistically false completely. So, so you can go evidence hunting. That's what in cognitive behavioral therapy you often do. You, you make people aware of the beliefs that they have and then you have them list them out. And then as a homework, you try them to disprove their beliefs and see if they can in a week find lots of evidence that disproves that belief. And that's what, how you get uh, different perspectives on things. So f for people who would be, you know, uh, wanting to try to know themselves more and like maybe detect mm -hmm. those like uh, limitation they have through mm -hmm. their mind. Uh, would you point them in any direction on how to start that work on themselves in self-development, like through uh, maybe daily mm. habits or like books or like yeah. a I mean, way of thinking? Yeah, there are many, nowadays there are many different portals that you can access that and work on self-development. So some that off the top of my mind, there is meditation practices that can work on this indirectly you can read a lot of books make sure that the authors themselves is someone where you say oh this looks like a balanced wise person and is not a very I would stay away from very loud people very how should I say this noisy people who shout in your face <laughs> that's generally not a very wise person in my experience you can um, you can read books you can um, talk to people more that's very underestimated just talk it, it's very um, uncommon nowadays that we talk about our problems or our visions right with friends depending on the, your friend circle you might just shoot the shit joke around but it's really important also to have deeper conversations so friends or therapists coaches can point you in a direction depending on the field you want to work in um, so you might, um, for example, have a specific problem um, that you want to work on. You get someone to help you with it. It don't, doesn't have to be a therapist. It can be um, a coach in a specific field. And that connection or that uh, can teach, always teach you more about yourself. So the more things you try, the more you will see, oh, this is kind of not like me. I should go more towards this. Oh, this is somewhat me but let's try again and then this is sort of this process of get of coming to what's authentic to you uh, is accelerated the more people you talk to the more different things you learn and the more different things you try and you were saying like a starting point just pick something you like if it's a hobby if it's fitness right just pick something where you say you can develop in that area and talk to people, delve into it, learn more, because in learning a specific subject, you will always learn about yourself as well. I think it's very valuable what you say is like, basically create conversation within yourself, with yourself or with other people, or with other to people. be in this process of exactly. questioning belief, questioning yourself, exactly. and through that questioning, developing yourself exactly. on, on the long term is re really interesting. This is something that that's not very often talked about in society but the most important conversation you have with yourself those micro conversations you have with yourself every day 
If you go to work, what does your brain say? Oh my God, I hate this. Why do I do this? But you ignore it, right? <laughs> and uh, you go on with it. You think it's normal. You think maybe you've learned it. You've conditioned that this is a normal behavior, right? A normal micro conversation that people just have. Or, um, yeah, just be aware of those micro conversations. How, do you, how you talk to yourself, how you talk to others, because that can uncover... Um, yeah, they can shift you over time. I, I, I actually want to speak specifically about that. Mm -hmm. Between, can you explain us the, the difference between who we are as a, a, a person mm -hmm. and who that voice is in our head of like, can yeah. you explain the difference so people can understand that like what they tell, tell themselves in their head is not always the person they are, it's just the person they think they are and it is a difference and you can yeah. work on that. Because yeah. you were talking so, about self-talk, negative self-talk. Exactly. The fact yeah. that I think very important, you shouldn't speak to yourself in a mm. way you wouldn't speak to other people. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The other people that you love. Other right? people that you care about, yeah. yeah. Right. So this is a very complex topic and it has to do with identity, how the self works. But what, what I can say is that everybody needs, um, or not needs, but automatically has sort of a story or multiple stories how they see themselves what kind of person they are and since we since ancient times we think in stories each of us has a story i'm this kind of person because i did this i am proud of myself because i achieved that i'm not proud and i'm ashamed of myself because i did this and the funny thing is that there is no objective true story there is no rules in the story and that's the powerful thing that over time you can become aware of this the story the big one and the small one the small stories you tell yourself because you have bigger stories and smaller stories you can work on the interpretation of that story so while over time um, the story might not change completely it can shift into another direction that is way a more healthy way of interpreting certain things and so you can work on yeah creating a better story becoming a better artist of your own uh, book of life okay right. yeah that's, that's it, I think it's really interesting and I think it for me it's something that I've yeah. been suffering for years of like negative stealth talk you know yeah. being extremely hard on myself when yeah. I'm not able to achieve something or or do something or not being enough productive or not training hard enough or not like yeah, exactly. Being yeah. good enough with my nutrition or my lifestyle and everything. And, yeah, so and, yeah. can I use that as an example? So if you have the goal, you want to train well, you want to earn a lot of money, you want to do well for yourself, per se, that's a good goal, right? But if you frame it as like perfectionism, I always need to put my best effort in, I always need to do this or that, um, then you discount the realities of what most people face in that you can't do it perfectly all the time. You might have certain traits because that's just, uh, that comes with your biology, that you fall off the wagon, um, something is not sustainable. So like uh, you might find out that you can only work one or two hours on a certain project and then you have to take a break. But if you are in a perfectionistic mindset, then it needs to go further and further and further and you lose a track of your like emotional state you might get burned out get depressed from it so it's a constant balancing of um, 
you know, forming your story and but also getting like getting uh, taking into account the feedback you get from your brain, your body every day, sort of like a self-management. And there's yeah. also like just like training a kind of progressive overload in exactly. the sense that, exactly. you know, I, I speak with some of my clients in, 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 in mentoring and mm -hmm. they ask me, but Nevin, like, how do you do so much like uh, mm -hmm. different stuff or like how are you able to yeah. have your coaching to work on the course etc and I tell mm -hmm. them like I build my capacity to where I am today I've mm -hmm. been doing this for years mm -hmm. I wasn't as productive years ago it's just mm -hmm. that now I know a few things that I need to implement like for example I always uh, so I have my agenda I put tasks that goes from 60 to 90 minutes on a specific mm -hmm. task Mm -hmm. which actually is something we can see in Menno's book that mm -hmm. he speaks about. Mm -hmm. And I know that like after 90 minutes on one single task, I lose productivity. So I just shift my interest to something else. Oh, so I have less uh, decision fatigue mm -hmm. or like uh, willpower yeah. in a sense. And, and it helps me to do a lot of different tasks. Yeah. And, but it's something that I couldn't do initially. Initially, mm -hmm. I would do maybe 30 minutes or mm -hmm. 60 minutes but Absolutely. people lose track also of what is real productivity in that regard in mm -hmm. the sense that we start going to school as children and we go in france it's you it's seven or eight hours of class a day mm -hmm. and people think like oh so that's what i have to do for the rest of my life and that's the yeah. capacity of a normal human being yeah is to be able to be focused seven hours in class mm -hmm. when we know as we grow up and we are more honest with ourselves in a sense that you can't be productive and create mm -hmm. for nine and seven hours mm -hmm. in your day. Yeah. I mean, you're a hard worker. You do a lot. You translated the course, mm -hmm. adapted, and you, you do all that. I know that you, some days would be, would be better than others. But you can't stay like on your chair eight hours translating something. It's just Absolutely. like you would lose your mind, right? Absolutely. So yeah. I, I think Absolutely. that is, is really good to understand that like first it's mm -hmm. you get better over time. Mm -hmm. But also, as you said, like you need to learn like what works best for you because mm -hmm. as individuals, we, we have to do things sometimes a bit differently, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, some people are a bit better in the, in the morning. Some people are a bit for better sure. in, in the evening. And finding what works the best for you, I think, is, is yeah. super important. And also, I think many people, if you, if you were touching on, uh, you do all these things, that's just a snapshot of, um, of someone who has been do, going on a journey, on a certain journey for 10 years. Yeah. Right? So the, the problem is, if you say that, like, how do you do all these things? People have the need that they want clarity in yes. what they have to do right now so that they can be there give me a list give me a list what i, I need to just do and, yeah. and then i'm there that's our that's a basic need certainty the need yeah. for certainty right so um we underestimate like how many different steps it takes how organically and naturally this develops right you try one thing you get this opportunity then you do this for a while you incorporate another thing and then suddenly 10 years later you have this you have this project you have but this work and it looks like oh my god you're doing all those things but it's always one step at a time i think it comes from the way that like as humans we simplify things we simplify you know, like yeah. we like to do lists because like it's the easiest way to explain to someone how to get from one point to another sure. but on such complex subjects mm -hmm. there's no one list mm -hmm. there's as you say there's so many options at each yeah. step 
of like uh, the decision making process that you can go through. It was funny because we went to do an escape gate the other day mm. and we did have a list yeah. that was kind of like uh, not easy to follow, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah. a list. But they had to do that because if not, if you don't have that yeah. basic list, like there was so many options in that room, so yeah. many locks so many and everything and, yeah. that we would have been, it, we could have done it, but mm. not in the hour that you have inside the room. It would yeah. have taken us so much longer mm. because of the complexity of the puzzle. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So having that guideline is maybe nice at the beginning yeah, to exactly. set yourself like in a way of like, okay, mm -hmm. my pathway for, for thinking, for questioning myself mm -hmm. starts with this, but then ag accepting to, you know, yeah. go in different directions. Exactly. Like. If we bring this back to fitness, so it might have maybe come off that we, um, that, or that I even said that you shouldn't have like uh, ideals or models in the fitness yeah. field, for example, but that's absolutely not true. It's just how you, um, how you conceptualize your ideals, your models, so the way you think about them. If you think about them as I need to be like them, then it might be problematic. But yeah. if you get inspiration from that person because they are a very hard worker in that field, the other person is very inspiring uh, because they're very calm and wise. Or just the way right? they communicate so, and, and help you in, the, and help in your you, process. Right, so, so what I like to think of ideals or of um, people that inspire me is, I don't have like one person that inspires me, I wanna be like them, but I look for people that inspire me just because I'm drawn to them. And I try to ask myself, what kind of traits does that person um, display? that I want to adopt over time. And then you have sort of this mini tribe of people that you can look up to and that you can slowly work on incorporating that in your own behavior. And it won't be perfect, it won't be fast, but you will create then your own path in fitness, in life, whatever you choose to do. After a bit, I'm a bit disappointed because I thought I was this person for you, Thomas, and you just wanted to emulate I me. I have to and disappoint just... you. No. <laughs> um, I'm... I know you post like uh, often stuff about like um, stoicism, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, in in uh, psychology yeah. and everything. Is mm -hmm. is there something that like in regards to all the subject that we've spoken about about external validation, about control, etc., that maybe could 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 help us in that way of thinking, or like some some tools that people could maybe implement that comes from. Or, or, or other psychology and philosophy, uh, you know, approaches. Uh, because you have, like, mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge in that aspect. And uh, people like to look forward, but sometimes mm -hmm. forget to look a bit backwards on what, like, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that has been written, mm -hmm. you know, like, thousands of years ago. Like, uh, if you okay. just look at Seneca or something like that, had already kind mm -hmm. of tools or way of thinking that can help us today yeah. in, like... Uh, the challenges that we're facing, in mm, a sense. For sure. I mean, I don't want to give specific recommendations yeah. for books or for, for tools. I mean, the tools really depend on the person and the context. Yes. So I can tell you what I do. If I have a specific problem or a specific phase in my life, 
I'm the kind of person that just consumes as much quality content in that area as I can. So for example, I'm interested in relationships, so I will read everything I can get about relationships. I have research papers, all the good books on it. And then I always try to find, that's what I've learned from mentors, but also from my family and my parents. Um, I try to find my own footprint for that topic so that I can say, okay, if this happens in life, if I don't know, I lose a job or someone leaves in your life, you have found a way of dealing, of coping with that um, uh, in your own manner. And I, for Stoicism works well for me because that way of thinking resonates with me. I know a friend of mine says like, oh my God, all these Marcus Aurelius quotes, I, I hate them, I don't like them, it's stupid, it doesn't <laughs> match me. And, and yeah, okay, that doesn't work for him. Yeah. So that's why it's really tough. Um, also, as an educator, I and I, he's still your friend. He's still my friend. Yeah, we have different views on some things. We have. But uh, it's important to point it out, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, as an educator, I don't like to give like specific rules, or you need to follow this type of thinking, or this tool will help you. I just try to do the same as I would do, which is um, give people many things that they can choose from, and. Uh, in, in a specific area and then they will take what's valuable to them and that's sort of been my approach. It might not be optimal but it's uh, in some areas but um, that's sort of what I think education should do. It should uh, point you to many directions so that each one depending on the phase they're in in their development in their maturation process can pick from. Sometimes it might be a simple more superficial quote Right? That, that really resonates with you and gets you going to work on something or to do something, to work on your health, your relationship. But oftentimes it's something very deep and very reflective, as you said, about the past. So I, I think it really depends on the phase um, you're in. If you want to go super deep philosophical or super practical, um, there, is, there are many daily blogs you can follow for practical daily tips. Um, I think Seth Godin's blog is a really good example really? of that. Yeah. Interesting. He has like very short paragraphs, how life kicks you in the butt, and then a short paragraph, what many people always think but is not true, and then a short paragraph. So that's something nice that you can um, the, implement every day. The Daily Historic also, Ryan Holiday. Have yeah, you read right. his book? Uh, I've read, I've, yeah, I think I've um, listened to audiobook of his. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. Um, if we rewind back to uh, eating disorders, like I know we had the discussion the other day about like uh, maybe again coming back to a list or like as at least some aspects that you should uh, look into either as a coach, you know, like maybe a few points that you should like uh, ask your clients or like try to perceive or maybe people who are going through like a kind of struggling in, in their relationship with food. Could you maybe pinpoint a few things that you should pay attention to? in terms of that, like... Uh, the characteristics of... Yeah, kind of. So, uh, disclaimer first, if you know you have an eating disorder or you have a client with an eating disorder, you should always seek professional help in terms of like a psychotherapist who is specialized in eating disorders because there are really good therapies that work specifically for uh, that disorder. Having said that, every disorder is on a continuum where you have multiple traits that drive you towards that end or the more healthy end if you will and so some of the characteristics that we know of 
um, that might be that might prone you towards overeating, for example, mm -hmm. which is one not not towards eating disorder per se, but towards overeating, is having patterns of restrained eating behavior. So we talked a little bit about that, which in research this is defined as um, you're unhappy with your um, self-image. So what you do is you restrict very harshly your food intake, but it's super unsustainable. You can't do that for very long. And then you go back towards binging uh, and super disinhibited eating. So you did the pattern is inhibition followed by disinhibition, inhibition followed by extreme disinhibition. So if you show that pattern, that might be a risk factor for overeating, for developing an eating disorder. Um, being female, uh, funny enough, is a, um, a risk factor. We know that females have this much more than males just by nature, right? So this is something that research says. Do you think says. it's nature or it's a social construct? Might be both, might be both. Might be a combination of both. Like the image um, that people display on social media, the how women should look. Um, but also maybe the model look or something the fact that may, tell me if I'm wrong but yeah. do male like uh, value more uh, a female on how they look rather than in terms of like a relate uh, not relationship but attraction I would say yeah I, the attraction research is interesting because it's actually for both sexes physical attractiveness is one of the most important factors in early life mate selection yeah i think that's what, one of the reasons why many marriages fall apart because you get people who are very attractive early they go together but then their life path differs and then they break up so if you get older attractiveness plays less of a role which is interesting so um that might be yeah a driving factor i know and it as as you get older it's something that you feel because like you realize that like yeah looks are van vanishing i mean <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's great but like having someone that you really love for like who they are yeah. and like what they bring to the relationship or like to yourself it's is more much important. more valuable than like uh, just Absolutely. having someone who's, who's good looking yeah but i do think um yeah that um yeah, sorry, I was cu cutting you. You said that the yeah. second trait was so, so uh, the, being the a female. restraint eating, being female. Um, I just wanted to point that out because I don't want people to be like, yeah. "Oh, Thomas is sexist." I'm not sexist. He's being it's like, just, "It's a female exactly. and everything." Exactly. Such there are many. There are many males who are uh, who also have an eating disorder, yeah. and we now have have this whole new thing of like orthorexia, yes. which is eating perfectly, eating healthy. Um, I'm not sure if males or females do that more. I, I'm not up to date on that research, but um, it's just a risk. I'm talking about the risk factor. Absolutely. So if you have the combination, uh, the other thing is you have um, problems regulating your emotions. So if you feel like your emotions are very up and down, you're not very even keeled, so sort of um, um, you don't feel very balanced, that's a risk factor. Um, another risk factor is yeah, having high anxiety and stress. So being having in psychology, the trait is called neuroticism, where you're very, we very much differ in how much we tolerate uh, uncertainty. So some people, if they go into a high uncertainty situation, they might react l literally bio biologically more to that. And that's also a risk factor for it. Because that our brain... Maybe I think a lot through breathing, you know? Yeah, maybe too. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You can work a lot on that. Yeah. And you can work a lot on how you interpret also that. I stress, think a right? lot of like positive uh, outcome from meditation mm -hmm. also comes down to like breathing correctly during a certain part of the day, which I see 
a lot of people don't really know how to breathe Mm -hmm. or they didn't you know they don't take the time to breathe and the fact that you meditate the fact that you breathe correctly that you focus Mm -hmm. on your breathing Mm -hmm. it doesn't like you know take away all the self-thinking like the questioning and everything but just the breathing Mm -hmm. for me can impact someone so much yeah i think we do that or in my experience i do that automatically when i train because with exercising it's sort of like a meditation where you get um you have to be very conscious in what you're doing you have to be present and you have to watch your breathing for all the people that i've seen i could really see a difference Difference. between like some people who do that in certain activities without thinking about it Mm -hmm. or even some people automatically when they get a bit anxious and everything they like Mm -hmm. they go okay i'm just gonna breathe Mm -hmm. and everything Mm-hmm. And they feel better, but some people don't. Yeah. And they, they never do. Yeah. And then you're like, breathe. And they start breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, you know, like, uh, like I can't like take a four mm-hmm. second inhale, pause, four second exhale. And you're like, okay, so we're going to start by that, you know, and that's going to yeah. be the, the initial, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. basis for the rest. So coming back to the risk factors, we talked about that four. Two more risk factors are... Um, if you have, have a very high valuation of your body shape. So if you're someone who constantly says, oh my God, did I gain a little bit of fat? I feel insecure after a big meal. You might say, oh my God, I'm, uh, I don't feel as lean as before. If you have lots of those thoughts, that's a risk factor. Um, and the last risk factor is if you have bad interoception, which is a fancy way of saying you have a very bad access to your emotions. Okay. So not only you have irregular emotions, but if I asked you, how did you feel yesterday? You would go like, oh, I don't know. It's like you have no access of, oh, I feel good. I am a bit worried. I'm a bit, oh, no, I feel happy, relaxed. Like some people have better access and can verbalize it better than others. It's funny because when you ask someone how he is, I know you're mm-hmm. very attentive to what they say in that oh, regards. Yeah. It, like when profession. Thomas asks you like, uh, Oh, hi, Nevin. He's not expecting just like good or bad. He wants like more details. <laughs> Maybe I do that. Yeah. Great. Since that's that's super interesting. Oh, yeah. I think it will be extremely valuable for, for coaches or for, for people yeah, who just feel like they don't really know. Mm-hmm. And maybe like, as you say, like seek professional like attention and help. Yeah, um, for sure. As a last question, I if you would have like one ju- like tip or something that you would like to, sh- to share to people and something maybe you, you would recommend them to implement in their life or something that has been helped you, just a general advice that you mm. would like to give to people? It's hard to give general advice because we talked about so many different topics. Yeah. But one It doesn't thing, have to do anything yeah. with what we talked. It one, can be really yeah. anything you want. One thing that really um, comes to mind is I recently read a book of Alex Hormozy, which is a sort of social media marketer, rising yeah. star, right? Yeah, marketer, business guy. But he started, like his book, he starts with, there are no rules. And there are no rules, that's such a powerful statement because I think that that covers so many aspects. If you tell yourself that mantra, you cover beliefs, you cover um, your behavior, doesn't have as strict of a list in the negative sense as you might think you can do things differently you can think differently and ultimately you can live a different life if you want to so by knowing that you make more of the rules than there are actual rules out there 
obviously there are laws, but um, that's a very powerful way of, um, or very self-empowering way of thinking. Like there are no rules. So I decide I am the maker, if you will, uh, of my own destiny. And I think it's a great motto to, to go by. And even mm. though, as you say, like we have laws, you can see in the reality of the world, yeah. some people go around that still. Yeah. You know, like there's yeah. laws, but people are still able to find like different options and everything. Exactly. So, so it's true that like if you don't have this, again, a kind of a limitation of being like, yeah. these are the rules I live in, in the society I am or in the uh, mm -hmm. social constructs mm -hmm. environment that I have, mm -hmm. uh, it can really help you to like yeah. uh, change or like go beyond where you, you think go you, beyond, you could yeah. go. Yeah. Don't be afraid to delve into different social uh, concepts, different books, different... Question uh, everything. Question everything. <laughs> question Great. everything. Thank you so much, yeah. Thomas. Uh, I will put, obviously, like all your links uh, in description, like uh, for uh, your social media, uh, so YouTube. Much. I hope you like, uh, you're going to launch some, some videos. Uh, I will, I will. Perfect. I will get on the YouTube you have some thing. great articles on, on your website. Uh, mm -hmm. Especially if you're a German speaker, you have a lot of content for them. Mm -hmm. You also have like uh, mm -hmm. uh, reels and TikToks, uh, um, which are I'm really sorry, cool. Yeah. Uh, is there any maybe other thing that you want to like uh, present? Is there any project that you want to speak about or like say to people before we, we go? Not really. Um, uh, next year I'm going to do some experiments also on the topic of overeating. So be on the lookout for more information on that because right. the goal will be to e help people and clients even better in their uh, approach towards healthy eating. So that's um, the thing. I'm Great. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for having me. <laughs>